My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Sorry I didn't introduce myself earlier when, when we began. Um, but yeah, I want to reiterate, we have our, the information coming out for our care clinic. We're getting that to you a little earlier this year just because, I mean, it's been a long time since we've kind of been doing things normally. And so we want to get that before you so we can have a, another awesome care clinic at the end of the summer, which we were unfortunately not able to have uh, in the same capacity last summer. So we're excited to get uh, going with that again. Also, for now, we do have those, like Kate just mentioned, some places where you can drop in your tithes and offerings, and also your Connect cards, too. Next week, we'll have all those out in the pews, so if you want to fill out a physical Connect card, you can also drop those there as well. So today, we're going to be carrying on in the Beatitudes. We're going to be looking at uh, another just single verse today, and as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but start thinking that as human beings, we have this natural inclination to want to be satisfied. This takes many different forms. Sometimes it's simply referring to our physical situation. Sometimes it is seeking satisfaction from an emotional and a mental standpoint, like the desire to have friends and satisfying relationships. Often we try to be satisfied too by material things like a good job, having stuff, new cars, homes, having security or control in some way. Or maybe through accomplishments, possessing different types of power or degrees. Or maybe we find it in distraction and escapes, like drugs, alcohol, entertaining ourselves through watching the infinite amount of sports that ESPN Plus can stream to you. Or any other streaming app, we just look for entertainment in so many different ways. In Ecclesiastes says this in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, He has made, he's talking about God, everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Humans are made with eternity embedded in our hearts. We're made to know that there is something out there that is eternal, and we don't know exactly all the intricacies of it, and we have this longing to figure it all out. So the temptation is to try to satisfy this longing by filling it with the things of the earth, like I just mentioned. But we quickly realize that none of this satisfies. We cannot find any ultimate satisfaction in these things. And in our sin and temptation to fulfill this longing, we search and search for things that are selfishly beneficial and pleasing. But at the end of the day, we always realize that these things will leave us empty. Even the good things in this life, when we realize they're temporal, don't satisfy the longing that we have to be eternally fulfilled. We begin to realize we're made for so much more than just the things of this earth. We were made to find satisfaction in God in Christ alone, into hunger and thirst for something so much more than just things that please us and what this world has to offer. So we're going to unpack today what this looks like and how we are to hunger and thirst for specifically, excuse me, specifically righteousness. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading from Matthew 5, carrying on in the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous a sermon to his disciples. Matthew 5, verse 6 
says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this day that we get to come together. It's really, really awesome. Uh, after a long year and some change to gather this summer as one body and one gathering uh, to worship loudly and uh, sing your praises. Lord, I pray that as we unpack your word today, you would not leave us unchanged. For those who don't know you, I pray that they would put their faith in Christ and see that you offer this righteousness that we deeply desire. You fulfill us completely. And for those of us who are in Christ, I pray that we would go from here hungering and thirsting to see your righteousness and holiness displayed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to be talking today first about what it means to hunger and thirst in general, and then some aspects of righteousness and how we are to hunger and thirst specifically for righteousness. So before we proceed and talk about what it means to hunger and thirst, it's good to remember where we're at in the context of these Beatitudes. It's really helpful to follow the logic that leads to the portion we're at today. We began a few weeks ago with the first beatitude where we saw that those who are poor in spirit are the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning those who recognize that in and of themselves they are spiritually bankrupt. They are powerless. And because of the fact that we can never be good enough to stand before this holy God because of our sin, we have to approach God in humility because we know that we bring nothing to the table. Next, we saw that because of this, we are to mourn because of our sin and our poverty of spirit apart from God. And not just the sins that we do specifically, but the actual nature we possess in our sinfulness as fallen creatures. And thirdly, last week we saw that we are therefore to be meek because of our understanding of our hopelessness apart from God and because of the grace and mercy that's offered to us in Christ towards us. We should be humble and gentle, meek in our dealings towards others. So now we get to a beatitude with a little different flavor to it. If you notice those first three, as we've been going through them, have this language of emptying, kind of, of possessing nothing in and of ourselves. There's poor in spirit, mourning over sin, and being meek. And now we get to hunger and thirsting. Jesus is saying that there is blessing in not just understanding our position of helplessness before God in our state. Jesus is going after something. And it makes sense if we follow this logical progression of understanding our state, our, our state. We long to be filled with something. We long to be filled up and satisfied. We don't just want to walk around empty. And Jesus is saying that we must hunger and thirst primarily for righteousness. And it seems odd, but when you unpack it, it makes sense because we first have to ask, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? One time, in the foolishness of my early 20s, um, 
I'm zeroing in on 30 here in a couple weeks, so I'm getting there. But in the foolishness of my early 20s, I thought that it would be fun to run a half marathon in the woods. Now, I entered this trail race, and I was feeling good the first couple of miles. You know, they shoot off the gun, you get going, and I'm feeling really good, and I come to the first water station. Everyone else I'm seeing is stopping and taking a drink. I'm like, these guys are weak. What are they doing here? You know, and I just go, no, I'm fine, and I blow right through it. And I continue on, and I get to mile 10, and I realize my mistake. And my lack of staying hydrated properly, my body began to literally shut down. Hitting a wall had a new meaning for me. Thirsting had a new meaning for me. My left calf started to cramp as I'm running up and down these hills, and then my right, and then both together, and then I had to walk. And if you've ever run a trail race, if you're 10 seconds from somebody else, 15 seconds, you're alone out there. So I'm just hobbling through the woods, looking like a fool, and I was so, so thirsty. And when I finally crossed the finish line, I will never forget what that first drink of water and Gatorade tasted like and how that felt to my body. I understood for the first time what it means to really thirst for something. If you've ever participated in a rigorous athletic activity like this that takes you beyond your physical limitations, you probably know what it means to experience this thirst. If you've ever been silly enough like myself to run for pleasure at any length that stretches you, then you know this thirst. You open up that bottle after you've ran, and the moment it hits your lips, you begin to feel refreshed, to feel satisfied. You literally feel it going through your body and reviving you. Or if you've ever been hungry to the point that you feel weak, like your body is shutting down. We've been without food before for long stretches of time, I'm sure all of us at, at some point. And maybe you skipped a meal or you had a little snacks throughout the day and you're feeling hungry and for dinner you know that you're going to your favorite restaurant. You're going to have your favorite dish cooked. And the moment you take that first bite, those carbs and the proteins and the sugars, you can just feel it working through your body. Jesus uses these words of hungering and thirsting because he knows that we have all experienced in one way or another what it means to hunger and thirst for something. Now, I would argue that uh, the most clear picture is in relation to food and drink, of course, and everyone not only desires food and drink, but actually needs it in order to have their life sustained. The original audience who is listening to Jesus definitely would have related to hungering and thirsting because they lived in a very different context than we do today. Today, we don't have to go wondering day in and day out, where is our food coming from? Most of us, at least. Most of us, in all honesty, have probably not experienced a hungering and a thirsting for food and drink like those who are listening to the original sermon from Christ. But it would have been very relatable to those listening in that day and time. But we can relate to hungry and thirsting for other things. Like I mentioned earlier, there's all sorts of things. We all desire to be filled with something that makes us feel fulfilled, satisfied. 
And we go seeking for this in all sorts of places. Sometimes it is food. Sometimes it's not so easy to pin down. Culturally, we see that the world says we ought to hunger and thirst for whatever it is that makes you feel good. Whatever it is that satisfies you, if you like it and it's not too harmful to others, go for it. Have as much as you want. To stick with a food example, gluttony is something that's not discouraged in our culture. We've got restaurants everywhere, groceries filled. You can go to the buffet and get your fill. We also are an image-driven culture, so do whatever satisfies you to feel good about yourself and your body. Work out. Focus on looking good. Hold on to that longevity and that youth, hunger and thirst for health and feeling good about yourself. We also hunger and thirst for things that aren't so tangible like acceptance, power, success, independence, living worry-free, free from anxiety. We want to get to the point where we don't have to work anymore and we can live out a comfortable retirement until our days are done. I can go on and on and on, but you see the point. We hunger and thirst for lots of things to bring us satisfaction. Every single one of us does. And now either we understand our poverty of spirit and mourn our sin, put our faith in Christ, but in the day-to-day we still long to be satisfied with what our life is about. We still are trying to live out purposeful life. Or maybe you don't recognize your emptiness. You don't understand your spiritual state. And you experience this hunger and thirst for something to fulfill you. Now again, many of these things that we hunger and thirst for are not actually bad. But Jesus, as we know, is concerned about our hearts, the depths of our hearts. What should be our primary hunger and thirst is the question that Jesus is dealing with. What he's getting here is not that we cannot hunger and thirst for food and drink or some of the other things, so long as they don't lead us into sin and that they're done in wisdom. What he's getting at is if we really want to be satisfied, If you want to fill that hole inside of you that can't stay full from the things of this earth, then we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. That is step one in our desires. That is what can fuel us, what will sustain us, a desire every day for righteousness. Now, righteousness throughout Scripture Uh, has, I would say, at least three aspects that we can see. Um, We'll call them legal, moral, and what what I would call social or an outworking righteousness, things that happen within interpersonal relationships and in societies and communities. John Stott in his commentary on this passage of Matthew says that legal righteousness is justification, a right relationship with God. All over the epistles in the New Testament, we read that this righteousness is not anything that we can attain on our own. The Jews of of this time and the Gentiles and really everybody else leading up to this point today have been seeking to establish in one way or another their own and our own righteousness. 
It's embedded in our nature to try to be right and justified. Romans 10, 3 through 4 says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now in Romans there, Paul is addressing specifically the Jews, but it can apply to everyone. Justification before God can only come through faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus and what he accomplished for sinners in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, period. No amount of works can bring you clean and holy before God the Father and declare you absolved from the penalty that we deserve in our sin. So legal righteousness is one aspect of righteousness. But this ties in very closely with the second, which is moral Stott says moral righteousness is, the righteous, is that righteousness of character and conduct that pleases God. So righteousness is not just a right legal standing in relationship, but a right character that is brought into that relationship. Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to explain how this character is not one that just looks good outwardly, but it's a matter of our heart. It's a moral purity in our heart. The religious leaders of the day were so concerned with outward appearances, but inward were a complete mess. Christian righteousness is an inner righteousness of heart, mind, and motive. That is what we are called to hunger and thirst for. This moral righteousness is wrapped up in our legal righteousness and that it's not something we can attain on our own, They go together. By faith in Christ, we gain the right moral character of Christ, which is imputed to us so we can stand before a holy God in correct relationship and be declared no longer guilty for the just penalty we deserve. So not only are we declared not guilty, we are given the righteousness of Christ. Romans 8, 6-13, it's a long chunk, but it's very good and important to read, explains this well. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. A masterful portion of Scripture in its clarity, in its logic. In Christ, we have died to our old self and been brought from death to life. In Christ, we are given his righteousness and free from the dominion of sin now. But we still struggle with sin. It's not eradicated yet. 
But in Christ, empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to be enslaved to sin and sit under its dominating power over our lives. So there is this third aspect of righteousness we're called to be aware of. We see it in Romans, just at the end there. And also, this is mainly what Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. And this is what I'm going to call a social or an others-focused righteousness. A righteousness that is concerned with the holiness of God being on display to the world. A righteousness that shows a proof of an inward transformation of one who has been transformed by God, united to Christ in his righteousness. If you remember in the Beatitudes, Jesus is addressing his disciples, those who have become followers of him. He's talking about those who have already belonged to him, those who have been brought into the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is at hand. Those who believe in Christ are brought into that kingdom already now. And one day, it will be fully consummated and realized visibly before all of the cosmos. But this is who Jesus is talking to. Those who are following him at the time. So the righteousness he is talking about is this outward righteousness, this concern of living holy lives, displaying God's righteousness and glorifying him in the way that these disciples act. And again, I have to stress that this is not an aspect or the aspect of righteousness that brings us justification. It's a righteousness that flows from our justification, from our position in Christ. And even with this aspect of righteousness, in the good works that we do, the good works that God has laid out before the foundation of the world for us to walk in, we do not do them in our own power. We do those as we abide in Christ and we walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 13-16 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit enables us to use the righteousness we've been given in Christ to pursue righteousness at an interpersonal level and in our lives day in and day out as we walk through this life. This social righteousness, it can be seen throughout Scripture, is concerned very specifically with seeking some things about the liberation from oppression, seeking justice, integrity, in our relationships from our business dealings to our neighborhoods, to our, to our cities, to our homes, to our family affairs. Martin Luther says in classic Luther fashion, the command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into a desert, but to run out, if that's where you have been, 
to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. What is required, he goes on to say, is a hunger and thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated, one that looks for nothing and cared for nothing except the accomplishment and maintenance of the right, despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. That's Luther to a T right there. And again, he's not advocating that we are the ones who actually go and force people to be pious. What he's saying is that we make it our life to hunger and thirst for this righteousness to not just be something we keep to ourselves or in our Christian communities, but something that is heralded in our communities and in our cities and definitely fought for in the Christian community, primarily. Christians ought to be committed to hunger for righteousness, to be on display for the whole human community because it's something that is pleasing to a righteous God who desires his creation to operate in a way that brings him glory and sets them up to flourish. We're called to be people who hunger and thirst for the righteousness and holiness of God to be on display. And in this, God brings so much glory to himself and brings many to the knowledge of him. So the question we have before us today is, what is it that we are hungering and thirsting for? may have been thinking about it just as we're walking through this passage. Isaiah 55, 2-3 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in abundance, incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And in Jeremiah 2, 12-13, God says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I like those two passages because they have a specific mention of hungering and a specific mentioning of thirsting. But what we see here is that in our hunger and thirst for something that satisfies, what God wants us to see is that he offers us himself. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, whoever drinks of the water I'll give him will never be thirsty again because the water that I will give him will become a become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers this same promise today. If you don't know him and you've been striving and longing and looking for something to satisfy you, Jesus offers you himself. His righteousness. He offers you his righteousness and access to these waters that will never leave your soul thirsty again. For those who do know Jesus, we're called to live lives that continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness to, to reign both in our lives and the world. So where do we start here? Talking now to those who are the latter, for those who do know Jesus, where do we start? First, we pray. We ask the Lord for conviction 
to see the areas of our life where righteousness needs to reign. Because we can do absolutely nothing to add to our salvation, a temptation would be to lean towards licentiousness in all these areas of our life that we aren't quite ready to see righteousness and holiness produced, right? There's those areas in our life where we're like, I don't want to let go of that just yet. I know I'm positionally okay in Christ. I feel this conviction, but I'm not okay with letting go. Those are the areas that God wants to work in your life. So first we have to pray and say, God, all right, I'm ready to relinquish that tight grip I had on that area of my life. Then we can also see where righteousness has an opportunity to be on display in your spheres of influence, that the Lord has sovereign, sovereignly placed you. You know, often we go through life and we kind of just go through it. And sometimes it's good to pause. We live in a culture that rushes us. It's good to pause and say, you know what? God has placed me in this moment of time with this person in this context for a reason. Not a mistake. So where has God placed you? What quality should you be seeking in your life as you go about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, leaning in the power of the Spirit? The rest of the Beatitudes actually share some things that a hunger and thirst for righteousness produces in our life. You know, it's good. It's a good place to start uh, to see what qualities will, will come from hungering and thirsting for righteousness, because righteousness, there's a lot, but the Beatitudes give us a few right away. Anytime you're reading a passage of Scripture, you know, you've heard the, the term proof text, and you've taken a, a text out of context right? We don't want to do that. We want to see where the verses we're dealing with fit in the context of the, over, of the complete letter that we're reading. So it's always helpful to look in the immediate context and work outward to define the words given to us. So here we can see specific aspects of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. If you go down to 5 verse 10, You'll read it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So from this verse that we're dealing with today, all the way to verse 10, there are some other blessed attributes sandwiched in between. So we see a hunger and thirst for righteousness overflows in the next three Beatitudes. There's mercy, there's being pure in heart, and there's being peacemakers. And we're going to unpack these in depth in the coming weeks, but very practically, we can take a few things that we can be looking for to be playing out in our lives. We can look what an outward righteousness looks like. It looks like mercy, being merciful, pure in heart, not just faking outward acts, but having an inward purity, which is something that, again, we have to rest in Christ to produce in our life. And also peacemaking. We should be advocates for peace. And I'm not trying to throw out a pacifist statement there. What I'm talking about is our initial reaction in any instance of conflict between friends, between brothers and sisters in Christ and the church, with spouses, with kids, with coworkers, neighbors. Our initial reaction should be one of peacemaking, 
not peacekeeping, peacemaking. Peacekeeping is walking around on eggshells trying to make sure everything is cool. Peacemaking is someone who initiates, who pursues to see peace reign. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, if you go all the way to the end of it in chapter 7, by saying, you know a tree is, is, you know a tree by the fruit that it produces. And also, by the way, one's home is upheld in the midst of a storm. Those who are building their house on the rock who is Christ will produce good fruit, and their home will stay solid on the foundation of Christ in the midst of anything this life throws at us. Jesus clearly shows that true faith in him and an inward renewal of the Holy Spirit produces fruit, a fruit that can be seen in the pursuit of righteousness. If there's not in some way a care at all about righteousness, then we have to wrestle with what Jesus is saying because some of the most eye-opening words come towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25 where we see this description of the final judgment. And Jesus describes those who inherit the kingdom of God and he says, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came. It was those who had this outworking fruit of an inwardly changed life in Christ who inherited the kingdom of heaven. So if you're here today and you're squirming a little bit in your seat and you're like, oh man, I gotta start getting to work, that would be a mistake. Okay, that would be a mistake. It's hard when you talk about really practical portions of Scripture to go, I just got to do it better. I just got to be better. And that is not what I want you to hear today. Because you can't just leave and white knuckle it and go be righteous. You can't just be merciful. You definitely can't just be pure of heart. You can't just make peace and seek justice, etc. in your own power. God delights to work, though, through his people, and he has laid out good works for you, Christian, to do. In Christ, you have all the resources to live a fruitful life for his glory and your good. All you can do is rest in Jesus and pray that you would have a hunger and a thirst for this righteousness to be displayed. See what God is calling you to do and respond by walking in the power of the Spirit. It is never too late to change your diet. It's never too late. If you've been hungering and thirsting for something primarily that is not righteousness, something that does not satisfy you, then Jesus offers you himself. His very righteousness and the grace to propel you in making much of his name with the time that you've been given. And in this, God promises that hungering and thirsting for righteousness will leave you satisfied. You're saved into a community of Christ, so you also don't have to go it alone, which is another great blessing, another wonderful grace. And my hope would be that we at Redeemer would be known for our satisfaction that comes by pursuing righteousness together. 
One that would have, let me back that up, okay? <laughs> I would, I, my hope would be that we first find our satisfaction by knowing that Christ has given us his righteousness. He offers that right morality and legal standing in him. And from that, we can pursue righteousness together. Being advocates of holiness and justice and the glory of God to reign in every area of our lives, both individually and together. And we can look forward together to the day where we will, in Christ, be fully and finally satisfied and experience what we read in Revelation 7, 15 through 17, where it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, talking about believers, and see him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what we in Christ are moving towards, and it's a beautiful picture of what we can keep at the forefront of our minds as we continue to pursue and to proclaim the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this day. Thankful for, again, this day to open up your word and uh, see even the depths that we have in just one verse and how we can't mind the riches of your scriptures. God, I pray that we would be a community that hungers and thirsts primarily for righteousness. To see your righteousness changing lives by your grace as people come to the knowledge of you in all the different spheres of our life, Lord. And I pray that we would be advocates for your holiness to be on display in our lives as we engage just alone, as we engage with our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. I pray that you would get much glory through your righteousness being heralded to this city. And I pray, God, that uh, as we go from here, you would also just free us from any thoughts that we have to work out this righteousness in our own power because we can't do it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in our lives and that your Spirit would continue to bring more and more to the knowledge of Christ and expand your kingdom here. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.